Did everybody notice uh, the increase in Australia Post charges? Has anyone not noticed that? <laughs> Those who have been out of the country haven't noticed it. <laughs> On the 4th of January, the, the cost of posting a standard size letter went from 70 cents to a dollar. And um, a large letter now will cost you $2, $3 or $5, depending on, on how much it weighs. Um, but the other strategy that Australia Post have implemented to try and stop losing money um, is to, to slow their standard service down. Now, that might seem a bit strange to you, but our mail, it used to be pretty quick, really. Um, so usually, I know sometimes you'd get a letter that takes forever to get here, but usually... A day would get a letter here from either Brisbane or Toowoomba, um, but not anymore. You see, most of us, we're a pretty impatient lot. Uh, if I can't have it today, well, I expect it tomorrow, and if it doesn't arrive tomorrow, well, that's just bad service. And Australia Post have got this new strategy in place which takes advantage of our impatience. The same day that they increased the cost of a standard letter by 43%, they also slowed down the speed of the service. So it now takes one to two days longer for that same letter to make that same trip. Um, but if you would like your letter to arrive in the same time that it used to, no problem, you can just affix a priority label to it and that priority label will cost you another 50 cents. So the real cost of, of postage, now re retaining the same delivery speed of the letter, has gone from $0.70 cents to $1.50, uh, which is about a 114% increase in the cost of postage. And it'll probably work for them because, as I said, we're an impatient lot. Now... Is there anyone here who's going to confess to being somebody who sometimes lacks a little bit of patience? Do you know how to know if you're impatient or not? Yeah, it, it's when you pray for impatience, you, sorry, pray for patience, your prayer might go something a bit like this. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Right? Now, if you sort of pray a bit like that, that's a fair indicator that, that uh, you're impatient. Um, but you know what? That... That prayer tends to backfire on us because the Lord doesn't usually give patience. The Lord usually teaches patience. And do you know how he teaches patience? He makes us wait. Exactly. Righto. Now, today's message is about how to wait for Jesus. Over the last few months, we've been working our way through James and, and there's been some pretty confronting and some pretty challenging lessons for those of us who would be disciples of Jesus. Right from the very beginning of the letter, James has acknowledged the reality that there's going to be times of trials. Now, you've worked this out by now, haven't you? Being a Christian isn't always going to be easy. Um, there's going to be times when our faith is tested. There's going to be times when false teaching comes and it tries to tear us away from the truth. We're going to be tempted. We'll be tempted by our own desires and we'll be tempted by Satan and his demons. Christians will be persecuted. And last week we were talking a little bit about the, the, the problem, the, the, you know, it, I think it started out, you weep and wail, you rich. And um, I guess we could learn from that about how we should be, you know, use our wealth for the glory of God. But, but also it was acknowledging the fact that often it is the rich who actually persecute those 
who who don't have the power and the position that they do, and often that'll be the disciples of Jesus. He warns us against the temptation of worldliness, and he teaches us about how, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to very different values to what the world lives by. Now, there's been a lot of challenging lessons as we've worked our way through James, and it has reminded me time and time again of some of the blunt things that Jesus used to say um, about how following the path of of discipleship is not an easy road. In fact, Jesus said, if we're not prepared to give up everything we have, even our, our own lives, we're not worthy of being his disciples. Now, if that cost of following Jesus is so high, why would we do it? Why would anyone ever start following Jesus? Why when... Why would anyone continue to follow Jesus when the trouble and persecutions come? When things start to get tough? Why would we forsake everything else, even our own life, to hold on to this one truth? I'll tell you why, because it is the truth. You know, one time Jesus gave a particularly difficult teaching and, and we're told that at that point many of his disciples stopped following him. They, they turned away and they left him. And Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, do you want to go too? And Peter replied, he said, who would we go to? You have the words of eternal life and, and we've believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where, where else would we go? Why would we follow Jesus? Because Jesus has the words of eternal life and we have come to know this and we know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. We know that we're living in the last days and Jesus is coming back again soon. The day of judgment is just around the corner. Why would we stop following him? And so we will follow Jesus and we will wait for Jesus. And that's what this passage is about, how to wait for Jesus. Being an ex-ag college instructor, I love agricultural examples. Um, And James says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, there are two very critical stages in the growth of a cereal crop. One is at the really early stage, from planting through as the seed germinates and gets its roots down and growing. And the, early, the other is at the seed fill stage, from flowering, flowering through until physiological maturity. That's when it starts to ripen. And for a crop to do well, it really needs rain at these two stages. And James mentions about the patience of the farmer waiting for the early and the late rains. The crop needs early rain so that it can get its secondary roots down and draw moisture and nutrients from the crop. So when you first plant a crop, it sort of produces a couple of tiny little little roots and they're like the seedling roots and that sort of gets it up and growing but then you need a dose of rain 
to, to send its other secondary roots down. And sometimes when that other rain doesn't come, you sort of, you pull up a seedling and you can see these little little bumps just ready to explode. The roots are there ready to go and there's moisture further down, but it just needs that little punch along to get them to send those roots down to get it. So that's at the first stage. And then during the seed fill stage, it needs the late rain. Otherwise, you might end up with a very nice looking crop, but the seeds are all pinched and only half grown. Now, that's all very nice and interesting, but how does that relate to the Christian life? Well, when, when you first become a Christian, it'll be a very exciting time that the Holy Spirit has been doing an amazing work in us, drawing us to himself. He's convicted us of sin. He's convinced us that, that of our need for a saviour. We've heard the good news and how Jesus Christ died to save us from our sin. And we've repented of our sin. We've believed in Jesus and we've trusted in him and we're saved. Woohoo! And it's been great and it's just been... Can anyone remember there when they became a Christian? You, you can remember the excitement of, of really receiving Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Yeah, I'm seeing a few nods. So there's two Christians here, great. Um, sadly, some new converts only ever get that far. And they might follow Jesus for a little while, but then they lose interest. But in this early stage of our Christian walk, we are like a crop in its early stages. We're like a crop that's needing to get its roots down. We need to get established. The crop needs to get a good dose of rain in this early stage so that it gets its secondary roots down and growing. And if that doesn't happen, that seedling is just going to shrivel and die. But if it does get rain, those secondary roots get going and the crop establishes, and the crop grows. Now, the farmer, of course, he has to be patient for his crop. From the time of planting until harvest is, what, about five months? And for most of that time, the crop is established, and it's growing, but we can't hurry it up. The farmer can't plant that crop and then say, right, I'm going to spend the proceeds of that, because the proceeds are still, still six or more months away. I remember my dad telling the story of an English-based company who'd bought a sheep station in Queensland and the parent company were doing it a bit tough and they needed some cash flow. So they sent a telegram to the farm manager and said, funds low, commence shearing. The farm manager shook his head in exasperation and said, fools, we only finished shearing four months ago, another seven months until we can start again. So he sent a return telegram. He thought, I oh, know, I'll just put them off. Sent a return telegram, use lambing, unable to shear. Right, that should fix it. And then the next day he received another telegram from England, said, postpone lambing, commence shearing. Now, I, I don't know if that's true or not, um, but Dad seemed to think it was. With farming, you can't rush the harvest. You've got to wait for it to grow, whether it's the crop or whether it's the wool or whether it's the, the uh, beef or whatever. You've got to wait for it to grow. And, of course, we patiently wait for Jesus. But how should we wait for Jesus? James said, you also be patient. Establish your hearts 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So just like that crop has that early stage and then the establishment stage, we do too. The trouble comes when we don't move from being a seedling Christian to being an established Christian. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? The Greek word that's used there for established, it, it can mean strengthen, but because it's also being used in a cropping type example, that it, that it means established. But, but it, both of those things go for us. As Christians, we need to be strengthened. How do we get strengthened? By being established. Now, cereal crops have what we call a vegetative stage. Is that right, Jane? Is that a good word? Vegetative, yep. Uh, a vegetative stage where they draw on the moisture and the nutrients from the soil and they absorb the sun and they grow, right? So vegetative is a big word to say growing stage. Now, we, we tend to, to um, have negative inferences of the word vegetative because we sort of think, oh, he's just vegetating, he's not doing anything. Now, I want you to forget those negative inferences. It means growing. To be established in the Lord means we have to be growing in the Lord. And it's not just a growing in the head, it's a growing in the heart and a growing in what we do. And if you want to know what it means to be established in the Lord, well, James has spent pretty much the last four chapters explaining exactly that, what it means for our hearts to be established in the faith. It's about practical discipleship. It's about knowing Christ. It's about having this relationship with him. It's about knowing the way of Christ and it's about living the way of Christ. It's about knowing that the day of harvest is coming and, and being established in Christ and knowing in faith and, uh, sorry, and growing in faith and hope and love and developing for, for that day of harvest. If I don't establish as a Christian, my faith will very likely wither and die. And of course, you know this, the parable of the sower. Um, if I had time, I'd sort of spend more time tying that in. But you guys go home and read again the parable of the sower and link that in with today's message. Let me talk to the young folk for a moment. And when I say young folk, I guess I'm going to say specifically those who are about from 12 to 21. Young people. Oh, that's let you off, Philip Lauren. Yeah, okay. You also, you also know what that means. Not young folk. <laughs> young people, these years for you are critical for your establishment in Christ. My observation has been that from around about 12 to 21 years of age, young people who have been, especially those who have been brought up in the church, tend to decide on and take on one of two different paths. For some, their faith just comes alive. Um, they've, they've been taught about Jesus right from their infancy and so they've believed in Jesus, but it all just suddenly becomes real to them. Um, and they realise, hey, I, I can't just live off my parents' faith anymore. Um this is something that has to be real for me. And it's when, when you guys realise Jesus is calling me. 
Jesus is wanting me to be his disciple. Jesus is wanting me to commit to him and not just get drug along to church by mum and dad. And it's when these people decide, I believe, I believe, and I will follow Jesus because I'm going to be his disciple. And their faith just comes alive and they start reading their Bibles and they start praying and their prayer life comes alive. It's, it's no longer just, just prayers that, that they repeat, um, prayers that they've learned. But they, they realise that, hey, I'm actually talking to someone who cares about me. I'm actually talking to someone who's listening to me. And I'm actually listening to hear what God might be saying to me. And they have this compulsion, this commitment to follow Jesus and to serve him. But some of them, some others, don't choose that path. And they think they still believe about Jesus, but they don't establish in the faith and it doesn't become real for them. And everything else in the world just seems to get more important. And Jesus tends to get given a back seat in their lives. And so they don't establish and their faith is like this young seedling that doesn't get its roots down and growing and it withers and dies. And young people, I pray that your faith will come alive and that you will become firmly established in Jesus. Now, let me talk to some older ones. Lauren, you can listen now. Okay. I'll talk to some older ones. Are you established? Are you continuing to grow? Or do you feel that you've reached maturity and you haven't got any growing left to do? Remember in that reading he said, even in the latter stages of the, of the growth, we need the latter rains. So the established crop will produce fruit. Now I want to urge you, no matter how old or how young you are, to draw near to God and to establish yourself. And this is something that you have to do. Did you notice in the reading it's, he said, establish yourself? You know, I can't establish you. And God won't establish you against your will. You have to be willing and ready for this. This is something that you have to do. No one else can do it for you. I get disappointed sometimes. In every church that I've ever been a member of, I've been disappointed at how few of us get along to a regular Bible study or a regular prayer meeting. And the reason I feel disappointed is because I know just how beneficial that's been for me in my life and and in my times of growing in the Lord. Um, To be able to meet together with other Christians and to study God's word together and to pray together and to grow together in the Lord. It's hard to grow in the Lord on your own. Now, this is just me saying from my experience. Uh, for me, just turning up for church on a Sunday hasn't ever been enough for, to keep me growing. See, this is a relationship that I have to develop with the Lord as I, as I daily read the, God's word um, and regularly pray and meeting together with other Christians to grow together in the faith. And I just wanted to share that with you, just how important that has been for me and 
I believe it's important for all of us um, to establish our faith and to so that our faith grows strong. All right, let's move on. When I was a kid, uh, we lived near Gundawindi, and I don't think we did it every year, so it's probably every second year we'd go and visit my grandparents uh, who lived between Ambie and Mitchell. Now, when you lived at Gundawindi, to drive all the way to, to Ambie was a long way. When you live at St George, it probably doesn't feel, it probably feels more normal. But also, remember back then, the roads weren't anywhere near as good as what they are now, and the cars weren't anywhere as good as what they are now. Air conditioning consisted of rolling the window down, and of course, we always seemed to travel in the middle of summer, and then the wind had pumped through the car. <laughs> you know, you know what it's like, yeah. And three sweaty kids would sit in the back of that car, I'm sure one of them must have been a perfect angel because it was me, but somehow there seemed to be this constant rabble and niggling of each other and poking each other and annoying of each other. How much further is it? Andrew's pulling my hair. Regina's hogging the window. Has has anyone here ever travelled with kids? Have you ever experienced anything quite like that? Uh, Two of you have. Very good. On a long journey, everything just seems to get that little bit more strained. Is that a good way of saying it? Yeah. On a long journey, everything seems to get just a little more strained. It's like that in the church too. The Christian walk is a long walk. It's not a quick sprint. And sometimes we Christians can start rubbing each other the wrong way. And verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Right? Jesus is coming soon. And we don't want to be fighting with each other when he comes, do we? We don't want to be grumbling about our brothers and sisters in Christ when he comes. James is actually warning us that this is something that incurs judgment. Now, that might mess with your theology if you've been taught that Christians don't get judged. But that's what it says here. In other words, Christians don't fight amongst yourselves because just like when dad pulls that car off and he pulls a car up and he takes his belt off to sort the kids out, Our judge is standing at the door. And while we're waiting for Jesus to return, it's not always going to be easy to be a Christian. And sometimes the the most obedient are those who suffer most in the world. Now, it's quite common to hear it said that if you're doing God's will, then everything is going to go well for you, but that's just simply not true. And here James is saying, take, take the example of the prophets. Now they even spoke in the name of the Lord. They are obedient. They are doing what they are told to do and they suffered because of it. And Job too. Job had a terrible time, but he always trusted in God. How could they? How could they continue trusting in God and continuing to follow him through all of their suffering and all of their trials and all of their tribulations? How? Because the matter was decided for them in their heads and in their hearts. 
because their faith was well established. Our community is getting more and more anti-Christian. It will become more and more difficult to share your faith and share what you believe um, as the years go by. And I believe that as our country gets more and more anti-Christian, those who are obedient to Christ will suffer more and more because of that obedience. Um, That's just something we have to get used to. But just like the prophets, when we remain steadfast, we are blessed. See, we have something that the world can't take away from us. We have the promise that Jesus will be with us. He'll be with us in the good times. He'll be with us in the bad times. He'll be with us through all of the suffering and persecution. And we have a saviour who is coming again to set things right. You know, when when everything just seems to go wrong, when when we are in the midst of times of trial, when we've been obedient to God and we've suffered because of this obedience, it's not because God hates us. Don't ever get that into your head that, oh, I'm not right with God. God hates me. He's doing this to me. Verse 11 says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And if we're established in the faith, then we know this. You know that, don't you? The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so even if we are persecuted for being obedient, we know that the purposes of the Lord through that is compassion and mercy. God isn't beating up on us. He's just wanting to use us to share his compassion and his mercy with a world who have rejected him and who are now rejecting us. Actually, not rejecting us. They're rejecting him in us. Now, that doesn't sound fair. And now it's not. And that's why we have to just hold on because Jesus is coming back to sort it out. So be established in the faith and grow in Christ as we patiently wait for his coming. One of my favourite Bible verses is one of the easiest to find. You turn to the very back of your Bible and the second last verse in it, which is Revelations chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. And then John responded. John is the one who received this vision from Jesus. And then John responds with, Amen, which means to write. Okay, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We can respond in the same way. Will you? Will you do that with me now? You have to say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Because Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus.